Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week, I'm interviewing Amber Carvely. Now, this was a fascinating conversation. I set out a couple months ago, I wanted to interview somebody in the world of morticians, the the interesting world of all that. Of course, there were some TV shows back in the day. There's some really popular uh, people in that world on TikTok. And, you know, there's all kinds of people that are into the macabre, I guess I would I would say. I wanted just to, to find somebody in that world, ask questions about, you know, the, the I don't know, I don't want to say the craziness, but just the behind the scenes of what it's like to to do that day in and day out, to, you know, dress bodies and embalm and cremate, all that, just something I know nothing about, which is exactly what this, this uh, podcast is about, but my interview with Amber just completely exceeded my expectations because she comes at it in a very different way. And it's a way that, uh, you know, I've spoken to other people about food. Food is a huge thing that brings us together. We talked to uh, the gentleman who started Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives all about the community behind food and why people, you know, share meals and the the power behind that. Uh, She ties in food with mortuary things she is mortician in the kitchen on social media we talk about why food matters so much when it comes to the living and the dead how food is an integral part of our lives even till the end um you know i i I just i I found it so so fascinating uh the conversation behind this how we remember people by some of the dishes they made you know nobody made steak on the grill like grandpa joe or you know aunt mary's cornbread casserole is the best ever uh you know we we get together after a lot of uh funerals and uh have a meal together uh some people look forward to that more than 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 the funeral depends on who you're uh celebrating sometimes the person who has passed is you, is is not a not a friendly person, and you better go somewhere good if if you want people to to come. But uh, no, that's kind of a, a light take on it. But Amber was just amazing when it came to that connection and why food is so important. What funeral food is? What you know casseroles are? Funeral funeral casseroles, and and why we remember people so much by the things that they created in life. Um, and we have a real conversation in this about death and about, you know, our, our fear of that and fear of handling bodies. Uh, she says some really powerful things towards the end about, you know, why people are so fearful of, of that world. Um, I, I found it so, so fascinating. I really enjoyed speaking with, with Miss Carvely. I think that you'll uh, really enjoy this as well. But, uh, yeah, we'll catch you at the, at the end of this. Here is my interview with Amber Carvely. I'm here today with Amber Carvely. Amber, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Good. I think I said your name right, correct? You did say it right. You did. There we go. <laughs> if you would, just to, to get started, just introduce yourself. 
Uh, my name is Amber Carvely. I, uh, I I hold a license to be a funeral director in the state of California, uh, and I've had that license for over 10 years. Um, and now I run a site called Mortician in the Kitchen because I really love to eat and I really love talking about death. And I was pretty passionate about finding a way to continue to talk about both of those things. And I, I think that I do it okay. No, I, I think so too. And those are two very interesting things that people I don't feel like necessarily sees the connection. But then once I, I think we talk about it, it's going to be a, a pretty easy one to to bridge those, uh, those gaps. Uh, but the whole profession, I feel like the whole mortuary science profession, being a funeral home director, being a mortician, all these type of things, I think is a job that a lot of people look at and, and just think, oh, I'm not sure about all of that. What got you into to mortuary science? Did you grow up wanting to be a funeral home director? I feel like maybe the only people that do grow up that way, you know, their family has been in that area. I, I just don't know. Where, where'd you come from with, with uh, you know, this whole thing? Yeah. Um, so definitely no one in my family was a funeral director. Um, I worked in the nonprofit sector and, and there's like, there's sort of like a stodgy, boring way to say it, but I, I worked in the nonprofit sector in 2008 when we had a, our, our next great depression or that great depression. Um, I got laid off and I, I really wanted to find a job that's I felt like had the same values that I, I worked at this place called the downtown women's center. So I worked with the homeless um, or people experiencing homelessness. I think is better to say um, my uncle was homeless. Uh, and so it m meant a lot to me to put a face towards um, something that people didn't really understand, which, you know, it was like a spoiler alert. Why did I get involved with death? Probably. For whatever reason it was that I I, I liked that job. So uh, yeah, I was just in a place where I was really lost and I didn't know what to do. And then I was like a weird friend of a friend who was a funeral director. And um, and I thought, oh, maybe that's the thing I should do. And um, and I'm just the type of personality where like when I decide to do something, I just do it. So I'm just like, I was like, I'm going to be a funeral director. Yes. And I just went to more choice. I did all my I did my prerequisites and I went to mortuary school and then I started working in the funeral industry. <laughs> Very cut and dry, but like not because I, you know, I was had I had a job that was really cool and I, I just felt very passionate about things that people don't understand. I, I like putting humanity towards that. I think that's that's interesting for sure. And I just I feel like the whole you went to mortuary school and did everything you need to do. I don't know how it is in, in California where you're from, but I know here there's only two schools in the tri-state area that offers mortuary science. And it's super hard. Mm -hmm. Like they, I know somebody actually went there. And one thing that the, you know, the dean said was we're more selective than Harvard is like, it's hard to get into mortuary school around here. So I feel like you're, you're either glossing over, you know, maybe the intensity of it or in California, it's a whole lot easier than it is in Indiana. Well, <laughs> there are only two schools in all of California. There's one in Cyprus, and there's one in like Sacramento. Sorry, American River, because I didn't go to you. I don't. Yes, I can't exactly... imagine you went there. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't go to that one. I went to the one in Cyprus. Um, not hard to get 
into um but they they definitely like weed you out like it's they're they're not playing around they do they are not interested in people that want to play the adams family and look i say this with all respect to the adams family i loved the adams family i grew up with an original like Chaz adams book that was my dad's mm. and i read that when i was little and never even made the connection that Chaz adams was the creator of the adams family i love the adams family but they were they they the, the funeral industry is really difficult and they didn't want people that just wanted to like drive a hearse to like go to mortuary school because they thought they're going to play with dead bodies. So was it difficult to get in? Also, my cat might be making a guest appearance. He's creeping over here very quietly. Um, That's all right. They definitely they the first semester, they try to weed you out. Like if you are not serious about this, if you think that this is like a really funny thing where you're going to get to play to play with dead bodies, they're they'll fail you. Like they're they are not messing around. So is it as hard to get into as Harvard? I don't know. Yeah, they do take it really seriously. I think that everyone in mortuary school knows that like there are a lot of kids that think like, oh, it'll be fun to go go to mortuary school because it'll be really cool and creepy. And it's just like, guys, this is serious. This is someone's mom. Uh, that that makes sense. And I can I can kind of imagine the people that you're talking about that maybe have the maybe they're into more uh, of the creepy crawly type stuff, but don't really know what it takes to to do the the role. So and that kind of is a good good question. When you were in that role, what are maybe some surprising parts of of the job that people wouldn't wouldn't think of? Mm. I mean, I, this is the answer I always give to this question and everyone's always really disappointed, um, but it's paperwork and, and not just like, oh, boo, paperwork sucks, but it's just like, no, you don't understand how viscerally angry people get over um, the death certificate, like filling in a death certificate because it's like every single human being knows that like a, the dead body and the funeral is emotional. No alive human being <laughs> knows except for funeral directors how angry you're going to feel when I ask you these seemingly mundane questions to fill out a death certificate. So it's like the family is angry because they're just like, my mom died. Why are we doing paperwork? And I'm like, look, I also hate paperwork. Um, but the questions are like weird to a family member, not to me, because these are gathered for the health office and they go towards like when you see st statistics about like, um, you know, uh, white women from the ages of 23 to 43 that work in, um, gosh, let's just say, uh, who work at a water bottling facility all seem to die of a certain sort of lead poisoning. They're like, uh oh, is there something going on at this water filling facility? What's going on? Oh. Like the the questions that your funeral director for director asks go to the health office, and the health office uses this to go like, there's a correlation between this category of people who all died of cancer when they were in like in their not even has to be in their 40s but during the year of 2002 to 2003 like and that's also really difficult to be like why am i asking these questions because your grandma is about to be a statistic you know because it's like where did you what was your what was your mother's last job how long did she work there how long did she live in the county of los angeles um, and people get really mad and then they get mad at you again because they need the death certificate to get money from the bank <laughs> So it's, it's a real dual parter. It's people get really angry about that. And then they get really angry about getting that piece of paper. Um, the dead body is the easiest part of the entire process. Nothing surprising about the dead body. Sometimes it purges. That's fine. You just wipe it off. But the death certificate has to do with it's, it's just, um, 
it's a bunch of emotional landmines and then it's money and money makes people really angry. <laughs> yeah, I can I can only imagine money never never makes things easy. That's that's for sure. So I guess the question that I have too, I mean, how, how do because we're going to talk about it in a little bit. At one point you had opened a new funeral home, which I don't feel like is a super common thing that they just pop up. How does how does that go? I mean, how do you advertise for this? I feel like you know everyone that I've known that has passed away, you know, they're like, well, they're our families always went to that funeral home or such. I feel like it would be a tough thing just to be like, hey, here's a new one. They're like, oh, let's just try this new funeral home down the corner. They have a coupon. I don't really feel like that's possible. So, uh, yes, the the shortest answer is Google AdWords. Uh, that's that's how everything is done now. Um, it's probably a little bit different because I'm in Los Angeles and Los Angeles is not really full of people that grew up here. So mm. this isn't, you know, their, their family mortuary isn't in Los Angeles. Their family mortuary is in another state. So um, I think that the answer is probably different for everybody. I think that if you ask someone in, and this isn't me like saying like Nebraska is all people that never leave. I'm just like, just saying like Nebraska or I don't know, Tennessee, but probably not Nashville, but you know, like smaller places. I, th- I think that the answer really, really changes. Um, but LA is like, I'm from, I'm from Riverside. Um, and my mom was born in Los Angeles and that's a rarity. There aren't a lot of people that I meet that are from here. So for me, this is home, but for most people, um, you know, we, we were doing cre- cremations and then their remains were getting mailed back to where they were from. Um, so Google, <laughs> Google AdWords, um, as crazy as it sounds, is just online advertisement. And then it just becomes a number game numbers and how much money you have to put into ads and um, what you can offer for price. Because in LA, most people are just looking for like, what's the cheapest thing or mm. what's the nicest place, which is forest lawn, which we were not forest lawn. <laughs> Right, I know that that makes sense, and and just a brief pause because the people listening obviously can't can't see this. We're talking about you know the love of people getting into this because of Adam's family and the grim things. I can't pass. I don't want to start the stereotype, but you're totally holding a black cat right now, which is <laughs> which is not not helping your cause. Of I'm not that type of person that's just into the Adams family. True, but you should know that first of all, Dennis, it was a stray. He's he was three years old, and he was a, a Silver Lake. He's a hipster. He's a hipster Silver Lake cat. Uh, um, and I, I was looking for a black cat because I I had read that people don't like to adopt black cats. Um, they always want like nicer looking cats. So I was like, well, I want a cat that nobody nobody wants because apparently in our social media world that um. Black cats aren't as Instagrammable, which is oh. bonkers to me. I'm like, what do you mean? Why would a black cat not enhance your goth um, motif? But I don't know. So yeah, <laughs> that's funny. No, I yeah, I've I've heard that too. That black cats are the are less adopted. So I'm glad that you're you're I, I guess uh, taking at least one black cat uh, out of the shelter. That's awesome for sure. Let's yeah. kind of let's get to what you're doing these days. I talked about it before we started, talked about it briefly in your introduction, and that's kind of the intersection of food, funerals, the whole world of death. It doesn't seem like something that would would intertwine, but it certainly does. So talk a little bit about that. 
Yeah, I know. Every time someone asks me that, I'm like, you know, it it intersects because, you know, um, people are like, no, go on. And I'm like, hmm. oh, yes. Hmm. Um, where do I start? Uh, I I got I kind of had like a weird light bulb aha moment in all of my funerals because at every funeral I worked at every I then I sat through a lot of them um, obviously is that like you know you start listening to like what do people say what do people say when someone's died like what do they say other than the standard like they were always laughing they were always smiling you know Joe was a wonderful person and there's like this standard thing that everyone says but you would really see like everyone connect or feel really good during the stories about food and and i have told my friends that like run there i'm like i'm like guys if you've never noticed this sit and listen and just like just start counting the funerals like how many funerals do people talk about food and i guarantee you every single one every single funeral someone at some point like one of the last ones it was really it's really funny i really like horror movies so i was trying to like not laugh because this guy was like ralph really liked candy Everyone called him the candy man. And I was like, oh, <laughs> what? No, <laughs> the candy man. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, don't say anything. Um, but it was like really sweet because he was like, you know, like he always said candy and like all the kids would always run up and they'd be like, Mom, what do you have? And then like out of his pocket, he'd pull out candy. And then the funeral before that, the wife of the decedent was talking about how their favorite thing to do was to garden. And she started talking about all of the food that they made together. And it was like this really beautiful, like poem, like love poem. And that was like the last thing that she said was how much she would, how sad she would be that she would never get to like pull a fresh raspberry from the bush and pop it into her husband's mouth, which sounds weird the way I said it. But I promise you, when you like listened to her, you like pictured like two people just deeply, deeply in love, like taking this little raspberry and like, you know, like feeding it to your husband because she was like, Cause you're just in love. You're just, you're just in love. And even if you're like in your golden years, there's like this youthfulness to it. And it's just, there's just so much emotion in it. And it was just every funeral, every funeral, there was something. One of the funerals, they were talking about pancakes. They were just like, and you just heard everyone at the funeral it was like, had everyone been at this man's table at some point, had everyone had these pancakes. And it was like, I just realized that it was like, and, and, I've heard if you said this, I've worked in restaurants my whole life. And so I'd already grown up just sort of seeing that like food is where everyone comes together. Like mom and dad haven't, or mom and dad, <laughs> mom and mom and grandma, you know, like we haven't seen each other in a long time, or I guess you just come together to eat and to talk. And like all of life happens over the dinner table or the breakfast table or the lunch table, or if you're me, the snack table, anything. Um, and I just realized that when people die, like, this is how we remember people is, is with their food. Um, and I just became really enamored and like sort of obsessed with finding every single way to, to, to talk about that. Yeah. And I, I mean, when I was kind of researching about, uh, reaching out to you and then, then once you agreed to join me looking at your, your website, I mean, it does, it does make a lot of sense. Just like what you were saying that so many people do connect through food. Like I was telling you before we started, I interviewed the creator of Diners, Drives, Ins, and Dives uh, on Food Network. And he, I mean, he talked just about the culture behind food and about how food used to be more regionalized and now it's, it's you know, become bigger. But food, you know, sharing a, a meal is a, a huge, huge thing. 
Uh, and I just think that it's something I had never even thought about before about how food, I mean, it really connects us in, in all kinds of ways. You talked about something that you put on your website is that food is a part of everything. It keeps us alive and in excess, it kills us. So I just, I think it's such an interesting concept just, just around, around food. Talk about how you're kind of, obviously the light bulb came on with you and then you kind of saw those connections. But talk about what you've been doing uh, with that connection now. Yeah, it's so weird because I've been working on like mortician in the kitchen for probably the last, It's it has to have been at least the last three years. And, and I'm sure you can maybe relate as someone who's like, you're developing something you're really passionate about and you love it. And you're just like, I know that I have this thing, but it's, it's really hard to put it into words. And it's really hard when, when your whole pitch is like food, it's the thing you do when you don't have words. <laughs> and then I'm like, dang it. Okay. How do I describe the thing that has no words, but with words? Um, and so I've just been like, kind of trying to be more open to in some ways, like just letting it sounds I sound so silly when I say it, but like letting life take me wherever it needs to be. So I, I try not to plan too far in advance. I try to be like, just think about a topic or think about something or think of an idea and just work with that one thing and then go from there. So um, one of the things that I've been working on is my I call it my like Sunday obits and eats, um, which is a little bit inspired by my dad. Because my dad, um, when I was little, would always uh, a very vivid memory memory of again sitting at the the table, the, the I'll say the food table because you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner at that same table in our house. Um, my dad would like open up the newspaper and he would just read the obituaries, and it was like really weird. He would just be like random people that I didn't know. He'd be like, "Oof, Irma Johnson." 78 and it'd be like, oh, we don't know Irma. Why are we talking about this woman? Like my dad was like really obsessed. Like, why did this woman die? And I think in some weird way, like maybe he was like, I don't know. Like, I just, my dad loves reading books about like, like biography books about actors who have been dead for like 50 years. And I'm like, dad, why are you reading these? He's like, you might learn something. And I'm like, I think it's too late. I don't know, but okay. <laughs> Um, so, so there's like this fondness with reading the obituaries. And so I kind of tied that in with food that either was like, just straight up something that this person made something that reminded me of the person, something that was like one of their favorite dishes. Um, and something that really seemed to have resonated with people is I just did one on Anna Nicole Smith and I did, um, I really love Malcolm Gladwell. And so I, I, he's very much an inspiration in what I call like a, a revisionist history of people that are misunderstood. And I think Anna Nicole Smith is very misunderstood. I did feel like we probably don't have enough time to talk about um, all that, but I think she's misunderstood. And so I chose a recipe that was the red lobster um, cheesy, <laughs> those cheese biscuits, because everybody loves those those silly cheese biscuits. And they're just so they're just so human and they're so relatable. And Anna Nicole Smith is someone that is so seemingly unrelatable and this caricature. And she's she's not. She was just a woman from Texas who happened to be very pretty. And she was a single mom and a rich guy was like, you're hot. And she was like, I am, <laughs> you know, and he was like, I'd like to give you money. And I'll be honest, I would love if someone gave me money. That would be so great because then I could stop working in a brewery and I could just 
eat food all day, which is much like what she did later. I'm pretty and eat food and be given millions of dollars. Of course I would. Um, and so one time when she was younger, she worked at Red Lobster. And I, I just think that that's what makes her human is these cheese biscuits. And so the Sunday Obits and Eats is just about asking people to re-examine how you think of humans and people and what you know of the world and um, and to, in a subversive way, um, re-examine life through different sensory perceptions. So you read and you think about things, but when you eat, I think that you think too, and you think of memories. And, um, and that's why all of this is really difficult to talk about because some of it doesn't have any language. It's just me betting that if you eat, I know that you'll think about something that's personal. No, I, I, I think that's, that's a huge thing. And I understand why it's, it's hard to necessarily put it into words. I mean, just in my own family, there's certainly recipes that are still written by great grandparents, like on the recipe cars that people still eat because they've been dead for 50 years, but that's, that's their recipe. So I think it, it brings you closer together. It's, you know, to obviously when these people are gone, you have maybe some of their, their things, but then a tangible thing that you can, you know, that can literally bring you joy is the food that they used to make. So I think that's a, uh, I mean, that's a powerful thing for sure. How do you pick these people for your, for your Sunday obits? How do you, uh, you know, decide who you want to talk about, whose history you want to share, and then more importantly, how you decide what to, uh, what kind of recipe that they should get. I, I saw one recently. I don't know a ton of history, so maybe this is a, an easy, easy one. And you're like, duh, this is why I picked it. But you had Whitney Houston and Pop-Tarts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, okay. Two, there's, so there's two answers. And one is, is that every time I research someone, someone else naturally comes ac- like sort of just comes up. Like it's, it's really about like, um, the idea that if you if you do what you love, if you are just like, if you open up that sort of channel, if you open up the thing within you, whatever wherever wherever creativity comes from, if you just keep that continuously open, inspiration just will continuously come to you. And so I've been really trying super hard to to center on that. That if I just continuously open myself up to just you know being inspired by things. And being present, so not being worried about what I'm going to post for next week, but being just thinking about who I want to do this week. And I write all of my stuff in real time. I don't, um, I don't in in general um, pre-post anything. I'm usually up at like seven in the morning, and I'm writing until like ten, and then I post my stuff um, because I I really want it to be a pra- a practice of being mindful and here, ta- like talking to you, not just being like here's a bunch of content, like it and enjoy it. It's like, mm. I want to have a conversation with you about this. Um, but yeah, Whitney was sort of an, I, I think she came up because I was research. I mean, I love Amy Winehouse. I don't research Amy. I've been obsessed with her for years, but rereading stuff. And Whitney came up in a book that I was reading called Trainwreck, which was about women who um, are misunderstood, which is the the shortest pitch for that. And I just was like, oh, Whitney. I mean, like I live in Los Angeles. I remember when Whitney died. I know where she died. <laughs> um, and then I just started looking her up and I was, you know, I, I, I saw um, Prince when he played at the forum and I didn't get to see the show that Whitney was at. But I remember when she came to the show, to Prince's show and 
because I live in LA, I have friends that work in the industry and I have friends that worked that print show that Whitney showed up at. And apparently she like pulled up late in like a beat up scion and was a little um, bedraggled and came out and was having a good, having a good time. And like, I don't know, um, everything for me with pop stars and, and all of that is um, a unique privilege because I always have weird insight because of living here, um, which sounds, I feel like snobby, but I mean, I guess, I don't know. You write about what you know kind of thing. Um, and it's it's neat. And I feel really special and lucky to to have access to stuff like that or to have that energy around me. Yeah, I mean, I didn't read the article yet. So maybe you talk about it. But what, why, why the Pop-Tarts? Oh, because she loved Pop-Tarts. I love Pop-Tarts. I got you. <laughs> she, yeah, yeah. I, I will... Anybody I pick, I'll, I will Google them obsessively. And I will look up every every single thing I can find about what they ate. Like for Carrie Fisher, I I ended up pulling inspiration from a Washington Post article from like 1987, where it was like, and it was, and it's, and the thing about following what you love is that if you just kind of follow your instincts, um, things sort of to hap happen. Um, and it was like the article, like, I think I quoted it exactly was like, having lunch with Carrie Fisher is an adventure. And I was like, this is great. Wow. <laughs> you did my work for me. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And like half of the article is this Washington Post journalist just trying to figure out where she and Carrie are going to go eat. Mm. And so I did like a, a burrito recipe because Carrie apparently really liked um, Mexican food. So gotcha. That makes sense. We, I mean, we talked about how food reminds us of people and, you know, sharing recipes and Grandpa Joe made the best breakfast food or something like that. But talk more specifically about you know, the other genre of food in the death world, and that's funeral food. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So it's funny because funeral food was the original reason that I started this site. I was like, you know, because there's funeral food. And then I realized that it was like, it was kind of limited and not in a terrible way, but that that funeral food really was just more of a like, what do people make when someone dies that's cheap and easy and feeds a lot of people? And so I like kind of quickly ran out of stuff because there's like halva, which is like a, a type of sweetbread and coliva, which is also another type of like sweetbread. And there are like, if you're like, you'll see this repeated over and over. And my family is Jewish. And so I, I don't know, maybe another Jewish person will be like, no, it's true. But like every time people write about like Judaism, they're like, there's always like bagels and eggs and lentils because for Jewish people, they like the circularness. And I was like, I don't know. I think it's just because bagels are easy to bring to the reception, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, you know, and, and, and then I, uh, how do I, I, I got really uncomfortable. I didn't want to write about other cultures with any sort of, um, I'm an expert on Taiwanese funerals. You know, I was like, look, I am white. And I'm very white and um, I can pretend that I am Irish and Greek and that's fine, but I don't, I've never been to Greece. I've never been to Ireland. And other than having a Guinness, I don't know a lot about my history. Like I'm just like uh, an American and I, I really wanted to just be authentic and truthful, which is probably why I lean towards Los Angeles based stuff because Los Angeles is my home. And so I, I, um, I wanted to do more about funeral food from around the world, but I really, really want to be respectful. I, I, I have a lot of problems with people talking about things um, 
that are, you know, for likes or for shock value or for clickbait or to, to post something that goes like, Ooh, look at this crazy thing that they eat in this other country. And, um, I just didn't even want to, I didn't even want to get near it. Yeah. Well, I feel like it just depends on how you present it. If it is, Oh my gosh, look at this weird thing they do, or yeah. I'm a, I'm an expert, but I feel like if you present it in a way that, you know, tries to tries to bring light to something you didn't know too much about beforehand or something that you think is interesting that I feel like people like to, I, even other cultures love when someone tries to understand them and immerse themselves in it, not have all the answers, but I feel like you could do it in a, in a respectful way. If that's something you decide you want to do. It is, you know, what my hope is, is that I, I thought a lot about it and I thought a lot about how, um, you know, I, I hope that I could just keep doing this. Like I'm a funeral director and I will be a funeral director until the day I die. And so I kind of just stopped thinking about this as a thing that I just wanted to like post. I didn't want to just like post a bunch of content about, I wanted, I, I love this so much. I just want to keep doing it. And so I guess to me, I thought I would love to do the stuff that I really, really know the stuff that I'm passionate about, the stuff that like I hope that when I talk about it, other people really feel and connect to what I know. And I really hope that one day it would lead me to people that would know people rather than sources or books that would know about the things that I want to know about so that I can have a conversation so that someone, a human who's like lived it and breathed it can tell me about it. So I think in a way I've like saved a lot of like things that are like around the world that I, I want to know more about, or that I do know about, but I don't feel like comfortable talking about so much, if that makes sense. No, I, I think so. And I, and I don't even know exactly how to ask this question. Cause this is obviously something that could get into something that could take an hour. And we talk <laughs> about, you know, the mental health side of things, but I feel like food definitely in, in grieving and this stuff, I can only imagine that it's not always, I mean, we talk about all the positives, but I don't feel like it always could be a positive that it could maybe mask grief. You know, there's plenty of, uh, you know, movies of, of husbands that have lost their, their wives. And then, you know, they have 75 casseroles in their refrigerator because that's all people are giving them, but they're still sitting alone. So I feel like it's, it, it's a, it's a great thing, but it's probably not always the answer. Yeah, uh, there's an, a really interesting correlation there between that and also my time working with um, people who are experiencing homelessness. Every time we would get like donations of food, people would be like, here's a bunch of bread and cakes and cookies that we were going to have to throw away. So we, we're going to give them to you. And we'd be like, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for um, thinking of us and donating. And we really appreciate this. But, you know, we'd be like, but we, we need healthy food. We, we need vegetables and um, shelf-stable milk. You know, like if you want to donate dairy, like think about soy milk or rice milk or things that we can keep. Like, uh, again, thank you for donating. We never want to say um, you suck for thinking about us, but, but please think about donating things that are healthy so that we can keep these people healthy, uh, <laughs> hydrated, you know, don't, don't give us soda. And yeah, I think that that's something to think too with with your friends who are grieving as um, I suggest a lot actually for someone that is just like, here's how to make food. Um, I always go like, maybe think about bringing paper towels or toilet paper or dry goods or like uh, all these other things. Cause yeah, they're going to get a bunch of casseroles. Um, I am vegan, but that doesn't mean that I eat 
healthy all the time, uh, as I like to remind people, Oreos are vegan. Um, and if you only lived on Oreos, life would be amazing, but you would be very sick. In the funeral world, I feel like obviously there's a lot of, it's a serious world and there's a lot of grief from the people who you serve and there's, there's a heaviness to it. How do people in that world not, you know, let those emotions overtake them? How do they, I mean, obviously in any job, even though, you know, there's a lot of grief, it really is. I mean, it's your day-to-day job. So, I mean, there's gotta be light moments for your, with your coworkers and stuff too. I just wonder how people navigate that um, and, and how that, that works. That is a very good question. Uh, and I'm like, again, I always have two answers for everything. Um, I think that a lot of people in the funeral industry navigate the really sort of overall sadness of it with humor. And my second answer is sometimes it's very inappropriate humor. And you're just like, I think that perhaps it's time for you to get a new job. <laughs> I think that you're done with this industry. Um, you see a lot of people get, become very jaded. There is a weird gatekeeping and a lot of ego where I think that people that work in the funeral industry feel that they are um, or have achieved something that a lot of people can't do. And a lot of the way that I feel is that I think that all of us can do this. And I think that if we address the way we discuss death with society, that uh, there would be no more gatekeeping and there would be no more like, look, some people are accountants, some people are psychiatrists, some people are doctors. I don't think that death is that way. I think that death is like, uh, there are only two things in life that are certain death and taxes, you know, like that kind of thing. And like everybody has to do their taxes and you have an accountant, I understand, or a tax person. Uh, but you still have to get all your paperwork together and do it and be a responsible person. And I hate doing my taxes. It stresses me out, but I get it done every year. Mm. And I think that death should be that way. And, uh, um, I have a lot of issues with a lot of the people in the funeral industry, not all of them, um, because they have a lot of wonderful, wonderful friends, um, m- who I have made friends with in mortuary school who are out there doing great things, funeral directors I've met along the way. Uh, but I think that there are a lot of funeral directors who would not disagree that there is a lot of, um, toxic stuff in the funeral toxicity in the funeral industry. So my answer is how do people deal with it? I don't think always well is my answer. Yeah. Well, I feel like your answer just says what, I mean, what we all should probably understand that the people in this, in this field are human, just like anyone else. And you probably have a wide variety of, of ways people deal with it. Some of it is is great. And some of it is not, that's kind of just human nature as a whole. So I, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that's a, that's a, a solid answer. You, you talked about the good and the bad, something that a lot of people can, can say I'm, I'm sure is good. Is one thing you talked about working for a brewery. I noticed on your website that you're interested in going into homebrew and tying death into that, you know, creating home brews that, honor people's memory. I just want, that's like, where are we, where are we going with that? All right. So to understand that, I should say that the funeral home that I ran before was our whole mantra was um, bringing death back home and getting people to be more hands-on with the body. 
And so my whole thing, and even really working at the Downtown Women's Center when I worked with the homeless, um, I worked in the volunteer department as a paid position um, because my whole thing was like, how do I get you to engage with things that are scary? That's that's everything. How do I get you to engage with something that is scary? And to, the homeless people are the, the homeless are scary to people and death is scary. Um, and so I used to help people dress their family members. So when they're I have a one of my favorite memories, um, not favorite because this boy died, but he was the baby of the family. He was about 25. Uh, his mother and I were going to shroud him together. And I could tell that his friends didn't want to leave the service when the service was done. And I could tell that his mom needed, might've been open to some emotional support. So I pulled her aside and I asked how she would feel if his friends stayed to address him. And she was, she was, she, she wanted that. And I knew that his friends would want to. So instead of just me and this boy's mother shrouding him and dressing him for his service, we did it with his friends that he had known since he was five years old. And it was a beautiful, beautiful time. And when we buried him, I buried him with his brothers. And the funeral director there was like, oh, they're not supposed to like fill in the whole grave. And I was like, well, you can take their shovels from their hands because I'm not going to. If his brothers want to fill in his grave, they can do that. And the common link is that I am very into the fact that I think that, um, again, I think that we focus a lot on what we say and we forget a lot about unspoken language and beer i swear it's all coming home to <laughs> almost there beer is one of the first things that we did beer was something that kept us alive when uh water was unsafe to drink we drank beer children drank beer beer was food beer was money beer was calories um beer played a really important part in civilization and um as a women's studies major, which I can't believe it's taken me so long to mention, um, beer was something that women used to do. And death was something that women used to do. So again, when I say like, it's hard to describe what I do because it has so many facets. Um, brewing beer is a way for people to use their hands. It's a way for the family to come together. It's a way for us to connect to who we used to be in the most primal, primal way. It takes us all the way back to the very beginning of who we were. And it also is a marking or passage of time. It's starting the beer. It's coming together. It's waiting for the fermentation. You know, it's waiting for the yeast to drop out. It's putting hops in it. It's it's waiting for the yeast to sort of devour and change the beer much in the way that death devours and changes us. And when the beer is done and we're dead, then you can celebrate the life with the beer that is sort of chemically taken the same sort of process that our living and now dead body has taken and then you can drink and then um to just put it bluntly get drunk <laughs> so is it more i mean is this idea more just bringing people together you know that are grieving it to create this homebrew it's whatever you it is whatever you want it to be uh <laughs> so one the very nature of the question asks you to think about the person you just start thinking about all of the times that you're just like what did my dad well okay wait what did my dad drink what did he drink well what did i and there's an exercise in that alone is that you're going through your memories and you're thinking about it and you're being really present right now and you're just you're just thinking about this person um but the idea of the beer is more that like it is uh it's a process that punctuates time 
So if someone gets put on hospice, usually it means they have like a year to six months to live. Beer really takes about four weeks, but it's a really great thing uh, that I could see teaching people how to do that would keeps you checking in with time and keeps you present. And like my goal ultimately is to keep you present. Like I said earlier, like how, what, how do I pick like what I want to write about? I stopped thinking about what I want to write about six months ago and I, six months from now, I'm sorry. And I just think about like, what do I want to write today? What do I want to write next week? And beer is a lot like that. Like what's going on today? What is, it's an act. It Beer is alive and it's actively fermenting the entire time. And so every day you're not really, you're not super worried about what the beer is going to be doing next week. You're worried about what's going on right now. And I think it's a really interesting activity that could keep families present that I could teach you to do with it, your own home with like a couple of pots, essentially. I gotcha. That makes sense. I, I Last thing I want to ask you when it comes to this whole world, something you said a little bit ago that I do think is, would be extremely foreign to people. And that was kind of the mission of the last place you worked and still some of the things that you're, that you do. And that is get people more hands-on with the body. I feel like that is people are, that may be a bridge too far to most people. So what are we talking about there? Yeah. Um, sounds like it would be crazy and wild. It's totally not. Um, I, I think that again, being hands-on and being an active participant in the funeral process. Um, if you're Jewish or if you're Muslim, or honestly, even if you're Mormon, not a crazy thing. It's all super, very normal for them. Um, washing and dressing the body is part of the funeral process. It's so hard to explain other than um, it seems like it would be scary. And I promise it's not. <laughs> I, I, um, I have, I have tricks. I have a, I have a thing that I I learned from my friend who's German or is German lives in Germany and her dad is a funeral director <clears throat> and he has a trick to help people dress help his families help him dress the body and it's to um, it's like a classic misdirection uh, sort of thing and he goes tell me what did you bring for your mother what are those oh the socks help me get the socks and then the person will grab the socks and he'll be like. He'll pretend to struggle putting the socks on the body. He'll be like, ah, these socks, they're dang these socks. They're, uh, you know, um, thwarting me again. And then the family member will be like, here, let me help you. And, and the idea is that um, it seems really scary and it and it's not. And then once you do it, you feel how natural it is. And um, And he would find that family members would start helping by putting socks on. And then they would be into helping dress the rest of the body. Um, and the only other thing is that people take care of their loved ones when they're sick and they're dying. And my question to you is, what is the difference between the moment before their last breath and the moment after it? If you can love someone and wash them and bathe them and brush their hair and take care of their nails and 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 clean them and put on a new set of clothing right at the very end, you have to ask yourself, what is the difference now? why is it once their heart stops beating that you are afraid of them? And people will say that they're germy and bacteria, but like uh, I've seen people at barbecues and I've seen the way people like haphazardly hold steaks and make funny little jokes with um, dead animal parts. And I I really don't think that's it. (laughs) I really, I really don't think it's a bacterial thing. Um, So I think it's fear. And I think that we all have to face our fear and face 
I don't know, whatever it is for you, whatever is, is it that you're afraid of your death? Is it that you are scared to touch somebody because they're dead because to touch them means they're gone and it's easier as it is in a lot of things to have help and have somebody else help you, you know, like, I think it's okay to have a funeral director. Um, I know there are people that think like, oh, funeral directors are out to get you, but like we need help and you need good people to be there for you. And as a funeral director, like my strength is all the stuff that I just rattled off for like this last hour. Like I'm really good at being there for people and I'm, and I'm here, I'm your cheerleader throughout all of this. Um, but yeah, I dressing, I dressed my grandfather for his funeral. Um, I dressed my childhood friend's mother for her funeral. I dressed one of my coworkers with her sisters for her funeral. So, I mean, other than like also just regular clients, I've dressed people that were very close to me, people I went to high school with. Um, I dressed them for their funeral. And I, I promise, I promise you, I promise anyone that's listening, it is something that no one should take away from you if if you don't want it to or if you want it. I I, I don't know. There are, again, it's, it's that thing. There are no words. There's just a language that there, that we lack or I lack maybe. Um, It's really, it's really special. It's a privilege, you know, like um, Olga, who's my friend's mother who died of cancer. I just think like, why would I have let a stranger dress her for her funeral? This woman, like she introduced me to the Beastie Boys. You know, she took me to see the Glenn Miller Orchestra. Like, why would I let a stranger dress Olga? This woman was amazing. I spent every New Year's Eve with her and she was a wonderful human. And I got to take care of her. I got to give her this final act of kindness that Olga will never get to repay me. And maybe if there's an afterlife, she'll be like high fiving me and be like, thanks for dressing me. But maybe there isn't. And it's just something nice I got to do. So yeah, I think there's those that's powerful for sure. Moment of of levity at the end of of the conversation. I had a assistant several years ago who she had a part time job where she used to be a, a hairdresser back in the day. And her part time job while she worked in our office was she went she had, went to a funeral home and like cut hair for prepare. Um, you know, people for, for viewings, because people don't think about that, that sometimes people haven't gotten a haircut in a while that they don't yeah. want to, they don't yeah. want the hair that they have then. Yeah. So the moment of levity with that is she would always complain. And I'm sure you had this a lot in your, you know, your time when you were preparing, helping people with the obituary or getting pictures. She would always complained that yesterday I was given a picture. This woman was 85 years old. They gave me a picture when she was 25 years old. <laughs> told me to do her hair and makeup like this. Like I can't turn this 85 year old into a 25 year old woman. Yeah. So why are people so obsessed with p- putting these pictures of people? You know, their high school picture in 1942 is the picture that they they use. Again, I told you I always have two answers. <laughs> One, I think that. Um, I think we stop taking pictures of ourselves when we get older. I think that there are less pictures and I think that that might play into, and I do say might, cause I'm not sure this is like, I've, I've never really been asked quite in this exact way. So I'm sort of speaking this as I'm thinking this, that like, it could be part of our like youth obsessed culture is that like, we have a lot of pictures of grandma when she's really young and pretty. And we don't have as many pictures of her when she's older, but I think also it's like, this is how we want to remember her. You know, we don't want to remember. And I'm not saying that again, no shoulds. 
I'm not saying like, we don't want to remember grandma when she was 80, but it's just like, look how beautiful she was. Look how beautiful. Like, this is how I want people. Like, I want you to remember that this is how my grand, my grandmother was this smoking hot lady. She was a in her thirties. I am not saying twenties because I am in my thirties. Uh, she was a smoking hot lady in her thirties and she had this great hair and I'm really into makeup and beauty, even though right now I am wearing none, but I used to be a makeup artist also just to throw that into the mix of all the things that I used to do. Um, I really respect ritual. If you can't tell that the beer, it's a ritual, the cooking, it's, it's a ritual, the makeup, it's a ritual. I, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's a subconscious thing. Cause I, I have seen that I have a really, one of my favorite stories about doing this woman's hair. And it was when I worked at forest lawn and I was like, this woman has not changed her hair since 1952. And it's amazing. And I do not want to be responsible for messing it up. And I brought hairspray and combs down and I just, I beat her daughters to the punch. I said, your mother had the most beautiful hair I've ever seen. And I cannot do it justice. Will you help me? And it was like, it it was such an aha moment where her daughters were like, oh, yes. And then I just had this amazing conversation with her daughters where they t- were telling me how great their mom was and all things that she'd done for the community in Los Angeles. But um, yes, I think that we get those pictures because that's how they remember their mom is like, these girls didn't remember their mom as an 82 year old woman. They remembered someone who looked like me, I don't have children, but when I think about my mom right now, if I were my mother, I would have three children. I'd be crazy. Things would not be this quiet in this conversation, but this, like this, who you and I are right now, this is how our children would remember us. So. Yeah. Well, that, I get that. I, and I mean, if the person who has now, you know, is deceased, that that's the picture they want more power to them, rock it out with what you wanted to look like what you want people to remember you by but the, i always look at it the other way of that's what you know the, the kids pick i just yeah. think you know there is so many p- other so many more people that have found a way to 35 than to 85 <laughs> so i feel like you should be proud of every single wrinkle every single mark you have because I mean, it, it's an accomplishment to get to that point. So I don't think that's a bad thing. I want my picture just to be as rough as possible. Like, look what <laughs> I look what I look what I made it to. I agree. I feel that way too. Uh, I mean, I live in a very um, uh, Botoxy mm. <laughs> zip code, <laughs> but I think that I'm just like I I know I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna get old and like I'm gonna get old and I'm gonna eat and bollocks to all of you guys i'm i'm this is happening i'm not wasting my money on this yeah well i mean this has been an awesome conversation we went so many different places with it (laughs) i i appreciate that for sure um tell people how they can find you and the things that you do with the mortician the kitchen anything else you want to plug please do so yeah uh so um you can find me uh at Mortician in the Kitchen on Instagram or Mortician in the Kitchen dot com. And um, I'm actually getting ready to start my own podcast and I'm so excited. So I might I might have to hit you up for some advice, but um, it is I really like puns. So don't don't groan, but you can groan because it's fine. But it's called Death Positive, but spelled P.A.W. because it's about animals mm-hmm. and um. <laughs> Cause again, cause I'm just like, how do I connect all the things? So it's, it'll just be like, like a 
four or five interviews with some people that I've really wanted to talk to because I am really obsessed with talking to other people about their stuff, um, but just about animal death care. So I'm super into that. Uh, well, I think that's, I mean, two things. I want I want you to keep plugging, but two things. I think that's huge because they say no one ever forgets the first dog, the first cat. So I feel like that's a huge thing. And the second thing, does you really say I'm going to groan about puns? Have you heard what this podcast is called? It's called <laughs> I, Not in the Huff with Jackson Huff. I know. I love it. I love it. So I, I'm, I'm all about the puns too. So go for it. Yeah. The puns, puns aside from food are what life is all about. I adore them. I just think they're the best. So yeah. So death positive is, um, I'll just say coming soon, but I have like, I have a list of people I'm very excited to talk to. So I love it. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. So I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for, uh, for staying up, staying up late and making it work. Absolutely. So that was Amber Carvely, amazing person, right at the end here. She thanks me for staying up late. She's in California. I am on the East Coast, not the East Coast, Eastern Time. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a later interview. I think it was after 10 p.m. for me. But pleasure to do it. What an amazing person. Learned so much. Just things I would have never even thought about when it comes to you know, death, when it comes to funerals, when it comes to how food plays such an integrate part in life and death and just why we do the things we do and how we celebrate people. Um, urge you to check her out. Her That page, the Mortician in the Kitchen, on Instagram, her website. It's all going to be in the show notes. That Sunday Obits section, really, really cool. I've had a chance to check it out more since our interview and just fascinating, fascinating stuff that she's got there. So I definitely recommend checking that out. Check her out as a whole. Um, it's an interesting topic. A lot of people are, are afraid of, of the topic, frankly. Um, so I really enjoy kind of talking about something that people sometimes are a little bit hesitant, a little afraid of, and then something that most people really, really like, which is food. And she's uh, she's tied that together really well. And uh, I, I found it so amazing, so fascinating. This is the final week for the contest. I think I've made it a little confusing on whether I was announcing it during episode 104 or if it was going to end during episode 104. So for those who may have gotten a little confused, I don't know why you're still waiting, but hey, maybe this is the first episode you've listened to. So 100 episodes obviously was four weeks ago, four episodes ago, but to celebrate that, giving away 100 bucks. So go check out how to enter that it's going to be in the show notes too. follow like subscribe show me that you're that you're uh, engaged in the podcast send me a dm send me an email show me those screenshots entered to win those who've already entered awesome thanks so much um, but those who haven't go do that uh, if you don't want to enter and still want to subscribe and do all that please do that as well but apple spotify give those five stars write a review on apple always helps me out go follow on instagram not enough podcast but yeah amazing interview this week hope you enjoyed it thanks for being here take it away chris this has been not in a huff with jackson huff thank you for listening be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think or hey maybe even both but until then keep being awesome